The scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master building builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let's pray. Father, what a delight it is to gather as people to worship you. Father, you are truly a great God, an awesome God, and we worship you with our whole heart, soul, and mind. We love you, and we thank you for this gathering. Father, teach us through your word. Change us through your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again. I think that's the third time that you've had to say good morning. Everybody feels like you need to say good morning to them. So good morning. Hope everybody had a chance to be able to get their stretchy pants on, relax for a little while, digest everything, and uh, tomorrow we get back into the real world, right? Um, but hopefully it was a good Thanksgiving, good time with family and friends. And if, you, uh, if it was just you, I hope it was a good time of solitude. That could be a, a good thankful time uh, too. As we've gone through 1 Corinthians, we, uh, we need to remember that the people that he is writing to, they are true believers. Because as we continue through this book, well, he's pretty harsh with them. He's pretty straightforward with them. He calls them out on some things and some pretty crazy things that they're doing that you would go, why would a church do that? But it's, it's good for us to remind, uh, remind ourselves that these are believers. These are true Christians. And in specifically in the passage before, the passages before, Paul had been laying out saying that there was jealousy and strife in their midst. They were, they were dividing over the preferences of style, uh, style, teaching styles of the different teachers that were within the church body, or specifically too, things with Paul and Apollos. These actions, this, these divisions were more like the world than the people of God. They were acting like, more like the world than they were about the people of God. When they say, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, when Paul says, you should be following God, we are but servants of God and so follow him, not us. Paul had faithfully fulfilled his calling by planting the seed of the gospel message in the hearts of the Corinthian church. 
But it was God who graciously made that faithfulness and success happen in Paul. And so God is the one who deserves all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, and all the devotion. No one else. And so it is with us today. Great teachers, we need more of them. We need more good preachers within the pulpits of churches. We need good, solid podcasters. I mean, all of those things nowadays, right? Those, we need more of them, but we have to remember that they are but servants of the true God, and we need to put our devotion where it belongs. Now, at the same time, though, Paul doesn't minimize his work with the Corinthians. In fact, Paul is supremely confident that the ministry that he accomplished, though it was done by the grace of God, he says in, in, the, in verse 10, he's confident that it will survive the test of God. And in our passage this morning, Paul leans heavily on the metaphor of a building. Now, as with all metaphors, it can fall apart very quickly. If you start to push it too far, a metaphor is there just to help us to better understand something. So this biblical language helps us to understand the importance of specifically the type of teaching that is supposed to take place or that does take place within a church body. Not style of teaching, but the content of that teaching. It's a very important distinction. The ministries and the doctrines of those who are teaching in the church of Corinth will be judged by one that is greater than Paul. God is the great judge and nothing is hidden from his eyes. And so, in essence, he's asking them these questions. Are your teachings driving, as, t- as teachers, are your teachings driving the church to faithfulness to God, to follow the wisdom and the ways of God, or to follow the wisdom and the ways of the world? And to do this, Paul first speaks of a solid foundation, then he moves to building material, And finally, then he reminds the whole church as a body what type of building they are and the danger that awaits those who destroy that building. So my hope is that as we go through this metaphor, I'm going to be able to explain and we'll catch on what what do each of these different things mean. So in Paul's words in verses 10 and 11, they could be taken as arrogance, right? His work was like a master builder. He laid the foundation of the church in Corinth, and no one can lay any other foundation than one that he built. But if you read through Paul, Paul is not being arrogant. He's being confident. There is a huge difference between arrogance and confidence. Because that confidence is not in himself. His confidence is in God who allowed him to do such thing. By the grace of God, I, like a master builder, laid a foundation. It was only by God's grace that Paul had any ability to lay a solid foundation that the church of Corinth could be built upon. And it's a foundation that can never be destroyed or replaced, not because Paul is such a good builder, but because that foundation is Jesus Christ himself and Christ cannot be destroyed. The gospel cannot be destroyed. And Paul is confident that God has judged his work, has judged his ministry at Corinth, and he found it acceptable. Now, every building with a solid foundation stands the test of time. Every building with a crumbling foundation will in the end collapse. And this 
should bring to mind or could bring to mind Christ's parable of the houses built on the sand, on the rock. I thought about singing the song, but I couldn't remember it completely. I know somebody will come up and sing it to me later, as always happens. But the house with the shifting foundation falls down against the wind and the flood, while the house with the solid foundation stands firm. It is immovable. And in these verses, the foundation that Paul has laid is Christ, and the church is that building. There's only one solid foundation on which the church of God can be built, and that is Jesus Christ. The true church of God can only be built on Jesus Christ. The church is saved from God's wrath for our sinful rebellion by the shedding of, of Christ shedding his blood upon the cross. And Christ willingly paid the penalty of death that we deserved, healing the rift between us and God that our sin had created. That's Paul's message. That's the foundation that he had laid. That is the foundation that he had built for the Corinthians. And no other foundation can be laid that will stand the testing and the judgment of the Lord. Some may try to build their own foundation, but the true church of God will never be built on any, anything else than Christ. And though while Paul built a solid foundation, he says, but somebody else is building upon it. And that points back to, back to Paul's previous words of planting and watering in the previous section. Paul was called to plant the seed of the gospel message in the hearts of the, of the Corinthians. He was called to lay that solid foundation, but it's the calling of others to build upon that foundation. But a solid foundation does not guarantee a solid building because a house that is built with straw is weaker than one that is built with stone. In other words, as with a building, the types of materials used to build the church, the types of doctrines and teachings used to build the church are important because the work done is going to one day face the judgment of God. Paul's foundation is Christ, the building being constructed upon that foundation is the church, and the materials being used by the church are the teachings and the doctrines given to the church. And he lays out two different types of material, material, perishable and imperishable material. There are two types of teachings, that which drives the church to deeper and greater faithfulness to God, and that which drives the church away from faithfulness to God. And so anyone who builds upon the foundation must take care how he builds because of God's judgment. That day, quote-unquote day that he uses, is the great day of the Lord's judgment, the second coming of Christ when he returns to judge the living and the dead. And the fire is that judgment of God. On that day, each one's work will be revealed. But is it going to stand the test of the fire. One may fool many humans by teaching false doctrine disguised as truth, but will that teaching stand up to the judgment of God? If the work, the teachings of these individuals survives God's judgment, if it is built with, as he says, gold and silver and precious stones, he will receive a reward. Now this is not eternal life, but it's an extra reward, which unfortunately Paul is known to do. He doesn't explain to us. He doesn't give us any more detail. 
But if their teachings do not survive God's judgment, if it is built with wood, hay, or straw, then he will suffer loss. This loss doesn't mean punishment, eternal punishment. It means to be deprived of something. And in this case, he will not receive the reward, though he himself will still receive eternal life. And so this judgment of God does not determine eternal destination of heaven or hell, but reward or no reward. It's the work and the ministry of the teacher that is burned, not the teacher himself. And Paul's final words in verse 15, which is always is kind of a strange phrase when he says, but only as through fire, is actually best explained if I just quote somebody. It's a short quote by theologian Roy Kiampa. The picture, he says this quote, the picture is of someone escaping from a burning building just in time, saved by the skin of their teeth, end quote. And before we think, whew, thank goodness, okay, now that was close. I can still teach bad doctrine as a believer and God's still going to let me in. Okay, I'm good. Paul's words here are not positive. (laughs) Everyone who is a child of God is saved by the grace, not by works. Just as James tells us, though, he says, I will show you my faith by my works. And so those who are teaching in Corinth need to be very careful and deliberate to teach only the truths of God to teach only the wisdom of God, which is founded upon the cross of Christ. And again, one may be able to fool others or even himself by allowing the wisdom of the world to seep into his teachings, but nothing is hidden from God. He sees all, and nothing is hidden from his fiery judgment. And so teachers are to take care how they build upon Paul's foundation. He's speaking to the Corinthian church here. Because one day, their works, their ministry, their teachings, just like Paul's, will face the judgment of God, and it will either be found faithful or it will be found wanting. And so what type of building is the church? What, is, what, imp- uh, what importance, what is the importance of teaching only the truths of God? Well, twice in these final two verses, we read that the church in Corinth, he calls them God's temple. Now, again, remember, this is the church as a whole, not individually, although later on in chapter 6, he's actually going to talk about individual believers as a temple of God. But the temple in Jerusalem was a place where God revealed his glory and dwelt with his people. So when Solomon's temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC, it was a big deal. It was devastating to the people of Israel. How could God reveal his glory to them? How could God meet with his people? How could his people meet with their God? How would their sins be forgiven? It's a big deal. But then after Christ's death upon the cross, the temple became obsolete, which is why we're here and we're not over in Jerusalem making sacrifices at the temple. The temple was no longer made of stone and mortar. It was made of flesh and blood. Paul is reminding the Corinthians that they, as the church, are now the temple of God and God dwells in them. God's glory is revealed to and in them because He abides in them. He dwells in them. 
But there are some who will enter the church in Corinth and they will work to destroy God's temple. Now, no one could ever destroy the universal church, the church throughout all of the world, because God will always have a faithful remnant. Always. But local churches, and if you've ever been in one of these, can easily be destroyed. They can be torn down by the teachings and ministries of those who build the church with the wisdom of the world. They ignore or they water down or they minimize the gospel to get more people, to entertain more, to make people happy, to become popular, or as a pastor, to become famous. This is a stark warning, not just to the famous people or the big churches, but to every single teacher in the church. Your works, whether you're teaching the little kids in Wonderland, whether you're teaching the older kids over here in the adult class, (laughs) and everything in between, youth leader, you could even this is official, but you can even talk about parents teaching their kids and grandparents teaching their grandchildren. Your ministry is going to be judged by God. Whereas in the previous verses, it was the believers who were, it was believers who were de- deprived of some reward, a good reward. Here, Paul is speaking of unbelievers who will receive the punishment of eternal death, eternal destruction. It's no small thing to lead others away from the truths and the wisdom of God towards the eternal destructive wisdom of the world. God is the great judge, and these teachers, these false teachings, these false works, this false ministry is going to receive due justice. Whoever destroys the temple of God will be destroyed himself by God. That's a big deal. And as a dwelling place of God, the church in Corinth, he says, you are holy, you are set apart, you are sanctified, you are purified by God. The time, culture, and place may be different, but we who are the church today are held to the same standard. We are holy not because we're awesome, but because God dwells in us and with us. We, too, need to be on guard, confirming that what is being taught in the church will maintain the purity of the church. Now, that's a difficult word for us to hear. The purity of the church, because immediately it goes to like, you know, ethnic purity, right? Or church tradition purity or personal preference purity. That is not what the purity of the church means, The church is the dwelling place of an absolutely holy God, and so the church must fight against any teachings which stray stray from or reject the wisdom of our holy God. What is our foundation at Elm Creek? Are we a church built upon the wisdom of God or the wisdom of this world? Are the ministries that we have here at Elm Creek, built with the materials of the lasting truths of God, or are we allowing the world's wisdom to seep in, even if ever so slowly, drawing us away 
from the faithfulness of God. Don't hear legalism. Don't hear that. If you are a teacher in this church, if, if, if you want to be a teacher, that, that's awesome. That is a noble goal. And it is joyful and it is wonderful, but it is also very serious because know that you are held to a higher standard by God. Those who find themselves in an official capacity of preaching from the front, teaching Sunday school, leading music from the front, did you know that that's teaching? That's not entertainment. Singing from the front, whether it's leading a small group, we have to remind ourselves of the seriousness of our calling. We are called as teachers to build, or I should say the teachers of Elm Creek specifically, we are called to build the church to deeper faithfulness to the Lord. Not to falsify faithfulness, not to coerce faithfulness, but to teach faithfulness. And you let God take care of the rest. It's not a calling to be a teacher. It's not a calling that we should fear or we should avoid, but willingly and joyfully accept. Again, this is not a call to legalism. It's a call to faithfulness. Faithfulness to His call. Faithfulness to his truths, faithfulness to his gospel, and nothing else. Now, if you're not a teacher, this does not give you leeway then to just write down all the things that the teachers say wrong. Oh, God's going to hold you accountable. God's, I could just see the youth doing that to you, Jason. I'm sorry. I could just see it happening, right? Okay, that's, that's you want to hold teachers accountable, but you also need to look at your own heart. Why are you doing that? Why are you wanting to hold teachers accountable? So that we as a church continue to be faithful or so that you can one-up somebody? Paul is reminding, he's, he's reminding the Corinthian church and, he's, and through that God is reminding us this is a, a serious task, but it is a task that is filled with joy it's an honor to be your pastor, to stand up front and to preach the word of God to you. I don't understand why he picked me. I don't understand why he decided to bring me here. I'm glad he did. But it's not about me. And it's not about if you're a teacher, it's not about you. It's about him. He's trying to bring them back, censor them again. You know, we've talked about identity over and over Your identity as the church is you are the temple of God. He resides in you. Are we a church? Does Elm Creek, are we as a church, do we live out, do we, the ministries that we do, reveal that we are the temple of God? Again, not in an arrogant manner, but in a confident manner. Why? Because God says, you are my temple. And I am with you. I'm with you always. And nothing is going to remove me from my temple. Nothing. Stay faithful. 
And if you're faithful, oh, just keep going in that direction. Keep going in that direction. I know as a teacher, it can be difficult when you're, especially teaching kids, right? You don't know, is anything getting in there? Because I don't think they got a word out of it. And if you remember back to when you were a kid, it's getting there. Maybe not to the way we would like it to be, but it's there and God plants a seed. And maybe it's not your job to make that seed be watered and the soil tilled. Be faithful. Be confident in Him and in His grace. And never, never stray. And then as a church, hold us accountable. Hold us teachers as accountable. Hold us leaders, elders even, as uh, hold us accountable to remain faithful, fully understanding that because we are human, we need grace too, that mistakes can happen. We could be wrong on things at times, but are we open to correctness, correctness, being corrected? Are we open to people calling us out for a greater, deeper faithfulness to God. So pray for the teachers. And if you're a teacher, pray for yourself. Pray that God would continue to help you to strive. But see this teaching as not a burden, but a a joy. And yes, hopefully you'll receive a reward. And and I believe in the top of my head, that reward, we're going to give it back to him anyway. It's all about him. It's not about the reward. It's about him. And so as we take communion in a few minutes here, as his church, remember who we are. We are God's and we are his dwelling place. Not because of any holy work of our own, not because of the greatness of our teachers in the past or even in the current, but because God is great and it is only by His grace that was given to us through the shed blood of His Son on the cross that we can stand here and worship Him and glorify Him and praise Him. And so as we take the bread, as we take the cup together, remember, remember what Christ did for us. Remember what He did for His church. Remember those teachers in your past and praise God for them. Those who were faithful to him, praise God for them. Because your faithfulness to God, that, that a big, that a big part in your faithfulness to him. And if you're not being faithful, if you're struggling, confess that. Confess that to God. Give that to him. If you are the true church of God, you can be confident that he is in you no matter what sin you committed last week, no matter what sin you're going to commit in the future. Again, not to say sin is irrelevant. Don't hear that. What I'm saying is is that it's already forgiven. And so remember what He did for you. Remember who He is and give Him the praise and honor and glory, as Paul says, that only God deserves. And so when you are ready, If you're a believer, if you're a true part of the true church of God, you don't have to be a member here at Elm Creek. You're more than welcome to come and join us. You'll start a line in the back here. Grab the cup, grab the bread, go sit at your seat. 
And then as a family together, we will take communion together and give him the praise and glory and honor that only he deserves. Amen? Amen. So when you are ready, go ahead and grab the communion.